The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at republicen.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, sneezing like crazy. I know it's not just me. Allergy season is here and with a climate vengeance. The impact climate change has on allergies, which I never used to suffer from, must be among the worst of the climate impacts I've personally experienced. But enough about me. On to today's guest. Emma Dumaine is a reporter following Congress for e e Daily, but she has known our executive director, Bob Inglis, for many years as she used to cover South Carolina state politics and the South Carolina delegation for the Post and Courier in Charleston. We are checking in with her on the recent House passage of the Energy Bill, the Lower Energy Costs Act, and other congressional action. So listeners, stay tuned for my upcoming conversation with Emma Dumaine. Welcome back, listeners. So happy to welcome to the show, first-time guest, Emma Dumaine. Emma, welcome. So happy to have you here. Thanks for having me on. So glad that you could spend some time with us instead of up on Capitol Hill, where you are on the the beat covering climate and energy and all the good things happening there. Um, What's what's it been like since uh, the Republicans took the House over? It's been an exciting time for sure to be uh, a reporter on our beat. We were obviously very busy the last two years covering um, what eventually became the Inflation Reduction Act, started as Build Back Better, um, the massive um, climate investment package that uh, Democrats were able to pass using the budget reconciliation process. Um, Then we got into a discussion about um, permitting reform and how to change the existing laws and regulations on the books to speed up energy projects, uh, the permitting for energy projects, uh, both renewable and fossil. And we were immediately thrown into uh, a Republican controlled house that was eager to put together uh, uh, their own energy policy package building on a lot of what they promised during their campaign to retake control of the House um, in the 2022 midterms um, based around the message of energy security, energy dominance, not ceding ground to Russia following their invasion of Ukraine, not ceding ground to China, which continues to be this, you know, antagonist in the global sphere um, in terms of how United States elected officials, you know, view um, that nation. What we saw in the end of March was house passage of this bill called um, the Lower Energy Cost Act, which actually they gave it the name, um, well, they gave it the bill number of HR1. So you have, as bills are introduced, you know, they go from, you know, 12, 15, 20, 30, 500. And um, the Speaker of the House 
has the prerogative to pick which bills are one through 10, uh, sort of based on important signature issues. And this actually got the name HR1, uh, which shows you where House Republicans um, were prioritizing this piece of legislation. So what are yeah. the hallmarks of HR1? It's called the Lower Energy Cost Act. Yeah. I mean, you and I both know that bills, it seems like they either get a, a name that is like supposed to really resonate with the times, like even the Inflation Reduction Act in 2022, I felt like it was a big climate change bill, right? But the, it got the name Inflation Reduction Act because we were admits like high, highest inflation and in, uh, historically high inflation yeah. in a few generations. So anyway, what are the hallmarks of the Lower Energy Cost Act? Yeah. Well, first of all, just going quickly back to the Inflation Reduction Act, that was also um, a gift for Joe Manchin, who mm-hmm. had walked away from the table several times before because he didn't want to pass something that added to inflation. And when he and Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, finally agreed to move forward, they said, OK, and we'll name it the Inflation Reduction Act uh, so you can go tell your voters you um, did something to address inflation. But that aside... Um, hallmarks of the Lower Energy Cost Act. Um, there's a big uh, component addressing permitting reform in there, uh, mainly by making changes to the National Environmental Policy Act, uh, this uh, the bedrock, you know, environmental law of uh, 1970 that um, required the federal government to consider the impacts of um, any project on the community in which it sits before construction on that project can go underway. Um, right now, critics of what's called NEPA is um, the criticism is that these environmental reviews take way too long. Um, they are um, vulnerable to litigation that further slows down the process. Um, and Republicans really want to change how and then there's a lot of discussion about whether that's actually what's causing the slowdown. Democrats who support NEPA have argued that um, this law is mostly working just fine. And what they really need is more money and manpower to make it yeah. work as it should, not, in their words, gutting it. Um, you have um, a lot of provisions in there that would expand uh, domestic energy production, uh, including um, oil and grass drill- drilling on federal lands. You've got um, significant reforms to where you can mine for critical minerals that are used to make um, batteries for electric vehicles uh, in federal lands. There are um, a lot of provisions in there that would just in general um, streamline the process for allowing the United States to um, claim some level of energy independence um, and by producing the the argument that producing more energy have more of it to go around and reduce the costs for consumers uh, and taxpayers who are seeing the price of oil go up um, the price of gas at the pumps given the importing that we have to do from yeah. um, overseas so Emma just to sort of backtrack for a second, because you mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act and how it was sort of on again, off again, and Senator Manchin had these concerns. 
What was it like to follow that process as a reporter where it just seemed like the situation was changing like every day or every week? And there was a level of frustration for sure from people working on these issues that it was on again, it's off again, it's on again, it's off again. Like what that must have been really um, either exciting or frustrating to follow. Yeah, you know, I've been a, a Congress reporter for long enough that you get used to um, a certain amount of whiplash, um, a lot of standing around in hallways, outside offices, trying to find out where the meetings are, asking the same lawmakers the same question multiple times a day, um, hoping that maybe you get a different answer that maybe moves the ball forward. So you can write your update because there's this insatiable appetite, especially for E&E readers on where this bill is going and what provisions are in and out. Um, I will say that I was on maternity leave for 24 weeks uh, in 2022 and missed a lot of the final rounds of Good timing on your part. So, uh, <laughs> it was funny because I came back my I came back the last week of September. So after they had passed what became the Inflation Reduction Act, but um, around the time that they were negotiating whether to put um, permitting reform language in the um, stopgap spending bill per that agreement with Manchin for him to support the Inflation Reduction Act. But I remember up until that point, you know, the back and forth of 2021, I remember around Christmas time when Manchin put out that statement saying initially that he was walking away from conversations and the White House statement coming out after that, that just eviscerated him. Yeah. The scorched earth rhetoric of that statement. We all looked at each other and said, how on earth can anyone come back to the table after that? Yeah. And then I had, and then I had a, and then I had a bet for a six pack <laughs> with two of my colleagues uh, where I said, they got to build back something. Yeah. And my colleagues said, no, they're done. They can't do it. They're done. They're done. They're done. And they did come over for um, a backyard celebration in the August of my maternity leave with my two six packs because they did build back something. They did build back. Um, <laughs> Maybe it's like, it's build back good. It wasn't build back better, right? Yeah. It, was back good. It, was, it was something. It was something. I got 12 beers out of it, which I shared. So Emma, um, <laughs> As you also mentioned earlier, part of the deal that Manchin struck with um, Democratic leadership was that they would later consider a permitting reform bill of his, which did not end up moving before the end of the last Congress. How does what Manchin want, wanted and wants still presumably compare to the permitting reform that is in H.R. 1? Um, well, the big difference is that... Um, it does not include um, a provision that would um, result in the completion of the Mountain Valley Pipeline, which is a natural gas pipeline uh, going through Appalachia um, that um, would be um, an economic boom to West Virginia. Um, this was um, always 
the core piece of the permitting proposal Joe Manchin put forward, his West Virginia Republican Senate colleague, Julie Morcapito, um, has also been looking for permitting reform uh, that would accomplish um, the completion of the Mountain Valley Pipeline, which many environmentalists don't like, um, which has been tied up in um, lengthy litigation uh, for many years. Um, no permitting agreement uh, is going to get Joe Manchin support <laughs> without um, carving out uh, an exception for building the Mountain Valley Pipeline. I think that's the biggest part. Yeah. And so HR one. And I should. Yeah. Sorry. I should also. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I should also say that um, Manchin's proposals would always address um, streamlining the permitting process for fossil fuel projects and renewable energy projects. Mm -hmm. The proposal you saw in HR1 was much more heavily geared towards oil and gas projects versus hmm. renewables. Unfortunate that renewables were cut out of that deal because I feel like for IRA, for the Inflation Reduction Act to be successful, there will need to be some permitting reform for renewable energy. Yeah, it's interesting because um, that's what Republicans say quite often is that... Um, you know, in a lot of ways, Democrats need permitting reform more than Republicans because they have all of these projects, all of this money queued up for projects through the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, and, you know, I think they would argue that there are a lot of projects that would be unleashed as a result of the language that they put into H.R. 1. Democrats who are working on the other side of this issue are arguing pretty forcefully that there are a lot of changes you need to make to the authorities under the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, uh, giving new powers to FERC, um, putting a new uh, FERC commissioner on the board uh, as the tiebreaker, um, doing those kinds of things is what's actually needed to do mass uh, transmission deployment, um, building up the electrical grid and, and making the connections necessary to bring more renewable energy projects on board. So a lot of this permitting debate is actually um, in a lot of ways like an intellectual exercise about how exactly you accomplish the goals you're after um, to expand domestic energy um, to lower emissions to you know, support industry and jobs and, and all of that. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. So um, what is the fate of HR1? Any prospects in the Senate? Um, the, the line from Senate Democrats is that HR1 is, quote, dead on arrival. That's what... Um, Chuck Schumer has said in um, multiple floor speeches time and time again, uh, Republicans don't think that's true. Mm -hmm. They uh, see a bipartisan path to some sort of compromise on permitting. They are hopeful that Senate Democrats can put something on the floor with Republicans that would result in some sort of conference. There's a lot of talk about whether Elements of HR1 can become bargaining chips in a deal to raise the death ceiling later this summer. You know, all of those things are not, you know, totally outside the realm of possibility, I don't think, but um, certainly nothing 
remotely resembling the full picture of what the house passed last month is and is, is the senate to gonna work on its own energy bill that could then potentially be like a conference vehicle yeah there's no plans to do that right now but democrats and republicans in the senate are talking specifically about the permitting question um next month or actually no this month it's already april it is April. Uh, they, oh my goodness. As early as this month, when the Senate returns from recess next week in the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee, chaired by Joe Manchin, and in the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, chaired by um, uh, Delaware Democratic Senator Tom Carper, a close ally of Delaware native son Joe Biden, of course, the president. Um, both of those committees are planning on holding hearings on the state of permitting uh, in the country and what permitting reform might look like, which is, you know, the first sign that Senate Democrats are starting to engage meaningfully on this issue. Um, There were no hearings about this last year when the issue first started percolating. This is what we're seeing here. you know, bringing some formality to what at this point has been a lot of, you know, chatter in the press and I think private, maybe informal conversations member to member. So that's going to be really interesting to see. Well, I think it would be really fun to catch up with you as the congressional session plugs along and see where things head up. We definitely appreciate this insight into some of the issues that you're covering and, um, Wish you continued uh, success on the energy and environment beat. Thanks. Always happy to come on and chat. Actually, I have one more question before I let you go. Sorry, listeners. Yeah. But we didn't even talk about climate, Emma. I'm not going to let you go before asking, will there be another bill that focuses on climate out of at least the Senate this year? And maybe the House, because, the you know, Kevin McCarthy had uh, two years ago rolled out a suite of bills that... Um, that his caucus was pushing forward. So what about Trillion Trees and all that good stuff? Yeah, so um, Trillion Trees Act is obviously a priority of um, the House Natural Resources Committee Chair, Bruce Westerman, Republican of Arkansas, who's Congress's only trained uh, forester. Uh, He went to the Yale School of Forestry. This is big for him. Um, I think he definitely wants to do that bill, which has McCarthy's support. There's another bill called the Save Our Sequoias Act, which would um, make some changes to NEPA to support the iconic sequoia trees in in the the speaker's uh, state of California. I think those are two bills that could come to the floor and hopefully get some, hopefully for them, uh, you know, we don't take issues on such things, but um, that Republicans hope could get um, bipartisan support. Uh, As far as what other climate bills we could see, you know, Republicans in the House have argued that H.R. 1 is a climate bill. Democrats disagree. Uh, They called it the Polluters Over People Act. Um, But, you know, they are very bullish on the fact that this is a climate bill, that um, there would be support for building out more pipelines with um, natural gas, some support for nuclear and hydrogen in that bill as well that we didn't discuss that they say would um, have a meaningful impact on lowering carbon emissions. And the other other climate business on the table, 
for Congress this session is um, you're going to find that um, some of that in the Farm Bill. There are some clean um, some clean agriculture uh, and climate investments in that bill that Democrats want to guard uh, and promote and perhaps build upon. You can see um, some climate resiliency efforts made around um, the annual defense bill. Uh, you can see some of that in the appropriations process if members are able to advance those bills as part of an omnibus package at some point. Um, and there's going to be a lot of discussion, especially in the Senate, of um, how you implement the Inflation Reduction Act and build on that historic legislation um, so that Democrats can run on it in their reelection campaigns in 2024. And of course, um, for President Biden to run on, um, assuming he runs for reelection. But no, the think, chances I think, of... I was just going to say, I think that's really interesting because it feels like climate will kind of worm its way into all bills, right? So like the fact that it's going to be considered as part of the farm bill and, um, you know, obviously appropriations is important and NDAA, like these are not bills that are traditional vehicles for environmental policies. Well, I guess the farm bill a little bit on the conservation side, but I just think that's fascinating. It shows how pervasive the issue of climate change is. It really touches all aspects of our society and economy that it would be a part of the conversation around some of these other big omnibus um, pieces of legislation. Right. Um, you know, the other thing that um, we're seeing a lot of chatter about is um, in the Senate, there's some question about whether there could be a bipartisan compromise, um, not something that could be taken and enacted into law, but whether we could see bipartisan bills surrounding um, a carbon border adjustment mechanism, which is an issue that has been percolating for a really long time. And, and to that point, what we're seeing there is less a promise of new laws being enacted, but the promise of socializing big ideas around climate in preparation for a future Congress, which will be less partisan, either one party or um, less margin for um, partisan roadblocks on, on either side um, of the aisle. Um, a lot of people have talked about this Congress as a time for socializing big ideas um, around energy, environment, and climate issues, um, building the foundation for future agreements. So I think we're going to see some of that as well. So Price, before we break down the show, remind me where you're going on vacation next week. Denver, Colorado. Wonderful. That sounds really delightful. And what are you doing in Denver? Going to see some family from my wife's uh, mom's side of the family and going to go spend some time there in the greater Denver Boulder area for a few days. Then kids are going to ski for the first time up in uh, the Whoa. Winter Park Granby area. Yeah, it's been a little while since we've been out there, since my uh, sister-in-law got married a few years ago. So looking forward to getting back out to the it's not the wild, wild west, but it's the beautiful west. I always felt like if I was going to be a skier, that spring skiing would be the most fun. 
supposed to be around freezing in the morning, mid fifties in the afternoon. So I'm okay. not going to say it's not shorts to go skiing and shorts and t-shirt, but should be mighty pleasant with a, uh, I think it's been a pretty good snowpack this year. No different areas of the country are different, but I think they've, uh, they've done pretty well so far this year. So I am going to sit on the sidelines and do a lot of watching and cheering <laughs> and working <laughs> on the side. Okay. Honestly, that would probably be me. You know, I'm pretty accident prone, so <laughs> I might not be so inclined to go down the slopes, but a girl can dream. And, you know, that reminds me um, in Week in Review today, mm-hmm. which uh, is the day that uh, Price and I are recording. So listeners, just last week's Week in Review, um, that I had a little segment about our friend, John Curtis, mm-hmm. who is um, the co-caucus chair with um, the congresswoman from New Hampshire, who's a Democrat, and it is the Ski and Snowboard Caucus. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, if I was going to be in Congress, I would probably learn to ski or snowboard so that I could be in that. Because that sounds like, you know, some of those caucuses sound really boring, but that one sounds actually pretty fun. There are a lot of, uh, I mean, because there are literally hundreds of caucuses. Now, do they do a lot? No. They just are, you know, largely symbolic. So you might as well be part of the fun one. But that one would be one I would want to put into action. You know, like the beer caucus would be fun, but I think the snow, what is it, the ski and snowboard caucus would be a lot more fun. Yes, indeed. So just a little sample, guys, of the kind of info you get if you become a member and you get um, our weekly roundup of news. Um, and so I'm always trying to find those little tidbits that, you know, they're not mm. headline news. They're just interesting things about climate um, that involve somebody from the eco-right. And Mr. Curtis is our resident eco-right uh, hero. So anyway, there you go. Join yes. us. <laughs> yes, join us. Like Emma Dumain, she joined us from uh, E&E News. You know, we've known her uh, certainly familiar uh, with her work for many years when she back when she was a reporter, D.C. correspondent for the Charleston Post and Courier, and then short time later um, providing uh, correspondent services to the not just the Post and Courier, but McClatchy's set of newspapers, The Sun, uh, The Sun News and Myrtle Beach, Island Packet, uh, the Rock Hill Herald and the state newspaper in Columbia, where the capital is. So certainly she has quite uh, a distinguished career for sure. Yes, yes, it is. So it's great having her yeah. this week. Um, what do we have bef- before we go too much further? What do we have in store next week? Well, I don't want to jinx anything, Price, because mm-hmm. last week when we did a wrap up, I said that I was going to have the uh, letter to the editor slash op-ed writing Montanans on the show. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. one of them got COVID like pretty bad and lost her voice. And mm. so we were unable to record. But We're going to try again for next week. So that is the running plan for right now. If we have to call an audible again, while listeners know, we're always going to bring you a good guest, even if it's an unexpected one. So super grateful that Emma was able to jump in the last minute like that. And um, also just give us some interesting intel on what's going on in Congress. Real quick, we make the plea. We tell you every week, join us, stand with us, republican.org forward slash join. It takes all of seconds to stand with us. We need you if you have not already done so. One more plug to download and subscribe to the podcast. Eco Right Speaks, new episodes every single Tuesday, and it will be delivered right to your device, smartphone, 
iPad, computer, whatever it is, wherever it is, you listen to the EcoRight Speaks. So download, listen, subscribe, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever it is you get your podcast. Chelsea Henderson. You have safe travels and listeners, we will be back at you next week. Hope everybody had a good Easter. We will talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.